Welcome back to the West London Witch. This episode includes a story of suicide and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is strongly advised. There is nothing more irritating than lying in bed, all snuggled up, cozy and warm, drifting off into a blissful slumber, only to be disturbed by an alarm going off in your neighborhood. Most of the time, when it's a car alarm, no one is running out to make sure the car isn't being stolen. Everyone is just lying in their beds, cursing the alarm and praying the owners sort it out quickly. But imagine living next to an ancient house from the 1360s that is now a museum. When the precious building's alarm screams through the night, it brings police sirens, fire trucks, and neighbors out to ensure the treasured building's safety. 99% of the time, it's a false alarm. And you accept that this is just part and parcel of living next to a historical landmark. But imagine this circus happening every night. And every night, it's a false alarm. You are assured by the museum that it is being looked into. But the security company can't seem to find the fault. One night, after a long day at work, you're cuddled up in bed, allowing drowsiness to wash over you. When all of a sudden, you are jolted awake by the high-pitched cries of the alarm. In an absolute exhausted rage, you jump from your bed, throw your dressing gown around your shoulders, and stomp to the front door. As you open the door, you are standing in front of the wailing building. But this time, it's not a false alarm. Lights are flickering on and off in the windows. Shadows are roaming from room to room. And as you look up at the old leaden windows, you see a man staring back at you. It's Becca. For the past three years, the West London Witch team have been dedicated to bringing you the best supernatural stories at the highest studio quality. And by team, I mean me and my buddy Danny. We do this work totally for free because we love it. We're proud of our content and appreciate the wonderful interactions we get to have with storytellers and listeners just like yourself. If you're enjoying the West London Witch, maybe consider joining our Patreon. It's a way to further engage with us and show your support for two creatives. 
If you're in a position to spare enough each month for us to grab a cup of coffee in between edits or add to the piggy bank for a new microphone, we would love to see you in our Patreon community. But I know times are tough. So if you're not in a position to join Patreon right now, that's okay. We aren't going anywhere. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash the West London Witch. For as little as one pound, one dollar, one euro a month, you can gain full access to our coven, a space where we share behind the scenes stories, dive deeper into each episode, answer your questions, and have special little treats to thank you for sharing your love and kindness with your favorite little witch. Hello, and welcome to episode 43 of The West London Witch, a podcast where we share stories about those moments where we find ourselves very much not alone. Today, we are journeying back to a previous haunt, Southampton, England. We first discussed the port city in episode 18, Southampton Supernatural, where we learned about a litany of spirits that still roam the historic city. Our storyteller at the time, Andrew, introduced us to Tudor House, a large building that began its history back in the 1180s. But Tudor House is so active and prolific, it is known as Hampshire's most haunted house. This beautiful grade one listed building has so much documented paranormal activity, I really thought it deserved its own deep dive. So I reached out to Southampton City Council and was delighted when Emily Pierce Goldberg, a historian and volunteer coordinator for the city, responded to my request. Emily has been collecting and recording the ghostly happenings of the home and has plenty of her own experiences from her extensive time in the house. So without further ado, I invite you to curl up in a woolly blanket, tuck yourself into a cozy chair, and travel back in time to the ancient city of Southampton, England. I'm Rebecca Strazina, and this is The West London Witch, Episode 43, The Ghosts of Tudor House. Um, So Tudor House itself, if you see it, it's a great big beautiful building with this wonderful Tudor frontage, but it's actually an amalgamation of uh, three different older buildings. Um, So they have been extended over the centuries, but the oldest building on site is uh, dating back to 1180s, and that's called King John's Palace. It was actually a wealthy merchant's house. Uh, So at that time, the sea would have come up to the back of the walls there. um, And it would have been possible for merchants to load and unload all of their goods straight into their house and sell it out the front. So we know a wealthy merchant lived there and uh, owned the place, which eventually became Tudor House when a man named Sir John Daughtry in 1491 amalgamated three older medieval buildings, which have foundations that date back to the 1200s onto this wonderful, beautiful site. Over the centuries, Tudor House has been extended upon, subdivided, remodeled, and sublet. It's been a home, the site of many businesses, and has seen Southampton grow and evolve through the times. It has seen great wealth and prosperity and economic and social crisis. 
the area around it has been the best and the worst part of town through history. It miraculously survived the Blitz and has stood since 1912 as Southampton's oldest museum. The city has changed, but Tudor House has stood through it all. So it's had this amazing turbulent history uh, over the centuries, which kind of lends itself to these sort of ghostly encounters. And it is purported to be one of Hampshire's most haunted buildings. Um, and it's, it's, it's this amazing area that it's in for sure. Now, myself, I've been in Tudor House at all hours, basically. Um, we hire out the uh, house itself to local paranormal investigation groups so they can hire it as a venue and then uh, bring in their own equipment and investigators. Because we have a lot of uh, reports of uh, ghosts and uh, different spiritual activity in the house which have become kind of locally famous over the years. You know, we have visitors and even people passing by, popping in and going, is this house really haunted? Is it really got these ghosts? I've heard about this guy and this thing. Is that real? We have to go, yeah, it really is. (laughs) I cannot stress enough how weird and wonderful it is that a site as prestigious and historic like Tudor House would actually welcome paranormal investigators into its walls. It's a precious museum, housing hundreds of years of history and antiquity. And the city is so open and generous, it really makes Tudor House feel like a place for the people of Southampton. And as obvious and as idyllic as that should be, it's actually very special. So I've been there during these ghost hunts, which has been quite uh, an experience. You know, we have done some quiet nights and we have some quite active nights as well um and some of them get a little bit spooky so to tell you a story of the spookiest occasion i had on a ghost hunt uh we were with a group who had um hired out the house it was about one o'clock in the morning it's dark it's spooky the house in itself it was only lit by the street lights from outside Um, And we have got pubs and everything outside, but it's quite a quiet area of town, especially at one o'clock in the morning. Um, My colleague, um, who's also called Becca, uh, we were both there doing the ghost hunt together. And uh, we had a reasonably active night. So uh, the the guys had a spirit box and we had an EMF meter. We'd had a couple of blips on that, um, a few sort of whispers around, but It was probably one of the more active nights, but nothing concrete at that point, right? And we ended up in uh, a room called the Rich Room. Now the Rich Room is upstairs on the top floor, but behind us, the house is laid out in such a way as that the attic is above and behind us. So you can see into it from the Rich Room, uh, because it's got a few windows in there, because we've got some lovely artifacts up there. But, So we were having a chat with the group in that area. And we were talking a little bit about the man who had restored the house in the 1880s. They wanted to know a little bit more about the history, um, having had this interesting night. Now, when we were talking from downstairs in the reception area, which is directly below, we heard this amazing distinctive laugh, like a man's laugh. We're like, well, the pubs are outside, there's people, they're single glazing, and we're gonna sort of like, we might write that off as like someone outside. But 
this is where it gets super spooky. From there, I was had my back to the attic and I felt someone walk behind me. And you know, that distinctive, you know, when you feel someone is walking behind you, but you haven't quite seen them. And I turned to Becca, my colleague and said, or, or tried to say, someone's just walked behind me. And she looked at me and said, I just saw your hair move like someone had walked behind me. But immediately after that, we heard the sound of furniture dragging across the attic floor upstairs behind us. And it was quite loud across a wooden floor. But the thing is, I had taken all the furniture out of the attic before the ghost tour. I had locked it up and I had the keys. There was no one there. We were all in the rich room. The team were astounded. It was unexplainable and really rather frightening. They decided to call it a night and end on a high note. The paranormal investigators left, but Emily and Becca had to lock up the house. They were responsible for shutting down the museum. After the group had left that night, Becca and I were locking up and we were at the back of the house on the ground floor. And at that area, there's a um, big stone room called the workroom. And off at the back of that is the toilet block. So she was uh, locking up the toilets and making sure that everyone was clear from there. No hangers on. And we uh, were separated. So I was down the corridor looking up one of the fire exits. She comes out and she looks at me and said, what did you do that for? Like, what do you mean? What did I do what? And she said, why did you bang on the door? And I was, I was halfway down the corridor. Apparently she'd heard someone bang on one of the cubicle doors while she was in there. And we legged it, of course. <laughs> that was a pretty spooky experience for sure. Of course, everyone in Southampton knows the house is haunted. So it attracts a lot of mediums, investigators, history buffs, and curious tourists. Even the city council members are in awe of the unexplainable happenings in the house. I was also lucky enough to um, have one of our Southampton City Council colleagues who uh, describes himself as a someone who's sensitive to the paranormal. Um, he didn't necessarily describe himself as a medium, but um, he said he was sensitive and he's been, always been interested in Tudor House. So I thought it would be nice to have him come in, come with me to see if any of what he picked up corroborated any of the other stories that we'd heard. Um, so we did that, but it was so interesting what he'd found out. So we started up in the attic. So we started at the top of the building and worked our way down. Um, so in the attic, uh, he sort of sensed a woman in the corner of the attic in a place where we know there was, uh, the house was subdivided. We, were, we know that the servants used to live up there in the Tudor period and then again in the Victorian period. Um, and so there was lots of people up there at one point. He said, there's a woman in the corner there with a baby, and she may have died in childbirth. This made the hairs on the back of Emily's neck stand at alert. Many members of staff have reported to hearing a baby cry in the attic. Some even go up to investigate. 
only to find an empty room full of a heavy, foreboding, deeply sad feeling. And we know that uh, the house, there would have been children born in that house. One of the owners had at least 21 children and at least one of them died in infancy. However, this crying baby is not the only child ghost that Tudor House is famous for. So we made our way downstairs to uh, the workroom, that place I was talking about earlier, which is a big stone room. Um, It's gone through a lot of changes. The stonework dates from the 1200s, so it's part of the oldest part of the building. He've picked up the spirit of a little girl. And this is where it becomes a part of Southampton's history, because that little girl has almost become legend in Tudor House and, and beyond. Between 2002 and 2011, Tudor House underwent a massive renovation. During the renovation, there were issues with the alarm system that ran along the corridor from the workroom to the front of the house. The motion sensors were being set off within a half a second of each other, which is an impossible feat unless you walk through the wall. The security company was baffled. It was totally unexplainable. This became quite an issue, especially for the locals, because in addition to the alarm going off without cause, the neighbors also saw lights switching on and off in the house at all hours of the night. Calls began flooding into the police, and people thought that the famous home was being broken into and burgled. The museum needed to get to the bottom of the problem and had exhausted all conventional routes. Eventually, uh, a medium came in to uh, investigate. Um, It was part of a a bigger investigation and said, this little girl, aged about five to seven years old, her name is Nora. The interesting thing about Nora is her exact name and age comes up a lot with mediums. They constantly pick up on a little girl, age five to seven, running and playing in the hallway area. In an effort to appease or comfort Nora, the staff left her a ball to play with. The ball disappeared and has never been seen again. But the disturbances continued. The alarms kept ringing and the lights kept flashing. But this didn't deter the staff. They next gave her a doll. The doll also vanished without a trace. But in an interesting turn of events, the activity has settled down. Which is lucky. That's great. But Norma has become sort of our mainstay ghost in in Tudor House. So whenever I used to come in and out, I'd go, hey, Nora, how you doing? Um, And it is the same uh, spirit that uh, the medium I was with also picked up on. So it was quite nice to have that one a bit corroborated with the rest of the mediums. The last place we looked at was the cellar. And uh, the cellar is supposed to be the most haunted area. I don't like going into the cellar on my own. It feels oppressive. Um, It is pretty active for sure. Um, And uh, one of those areas that you just don't want to be alone in for sure. Um, so the stonework and foundations there again date from the 1200s um, and one of the experiences that my colleague had told me about before the medium came in 
was um, technology we have down there. So part of the, the cellar was used as an air raid shelter. During World War II, Southampton was severely bombed. Bombs rained down from the sky, and the majority of the city was left in tatters. Tudor House, though, survived virtually untouched. We don't know how or why Tudor House survived, but there is one theory that does seem to hold some water. So opposite Tudor House is the church, St. Michael's Church. And it is, it's a beautiful building. It's one of the oldest, but it's got this amazingly tall spire. And the theory is that the German Luftwaffe were using the spire as a landmark um, and they didn't want to risk bombing their landmark, which directed them to the Southampton docks. That's only a theory, um, but the area around Tudor House was heavily bombed. It was dumb luck, really. There was a bomb that fell in the garden, but luckily no one was was killed at that point. But yeah, we that is the only theory that we have with that one. We're lucky, though, for sure. During the Blitz, the cellar of Tudor House was used as a shelter. And that portion of the house's history is still showcased today. And down there, we have an automated uh, little uh, audio that, that tells a story or gives a bit of a story about the, what it was like during the Blitz. So people coming downstairs to, to shelter from the bombs. Um, and that triggers with motion. And they were locking up one day. Everyone was out. They were all on the top floor. And the cellar air raid shelter uh, audio was triggered. They heard it trigger and go off. And it should run all the way through, but it stopped halfway through on that day. And, uh, you know, whether it was a, a coincidence or not, but they had just done a ghost hunt on that night as well. Along with technology going awry in the cellar, It has a reputation for another very odd and scary characteristic. And that is locking people in or out. It almost seems like a rite of passage at Tudor House to be locked in the cellar at some point in your career. So much so that staff must always take a set of keys and a walkie-talkie into the cellar with them. Being locked out of the cellar is ominous enough. But being locked in must be terrifying, especially as if you're not prepared, you could be stuck down there alone for an untold amount of time until someone simply stumbles upon you. Um, So I wanted to take this um, spiritual medium downstairs to the cellar to see what he made of it for sure. But uh, when I took uh, this, this man downstairs, we went through the different sections of the cellar. So it's split into five sections and um, each of them are uh, different sections of that original medieval houses that were amalgamated together. And we got to the back section and he immediately turned away, walked away and said, oh, okay, that's fine, that's fine, don't worry. And what he picked up on was the spirit of a man He'd been feeling something along this central line of the house as we get further and further down. And he said, it's stronger, but it's not here. There's a presence. It's not here, but it's somewhere on this line. And here was apparently the cellar. So he picked up on this man who he described as about five foot eight in his thirties, brown hair, 
Um, he didn't want to be seen. He was ashamed and he was dressed in Victorian fashion. And um, here is where it gets a little sad, unfortunately, because he believes that the man down there, the spirit of this man, was ashamed, something to do with the businesses or his work had made him ashamed. And sadly, he believes that this man hanged himself in the cellar in the oldest part of the, the house. Although Emily cannot currently find any evidence of a suicide in the property, the idea of a Victorian businessman shamed by a failed venture actually jives with the history of Tudor House. Because during the 1800s, the house had been sublet to several businesses of varying success. We also know that Victorians typically shied away from reporting stigmatized deaths such as suicide. So it's absolutely possible that there may well be a Victorian businessman stuck in the cellar of Tudor House. And what's crazy is this isn't the first time we have been told about a Victorian man in the cellar. Andrew from episode 18 had his own encounter with this gentleman. And I was in there one night in the cellar, one of the oldest parts of the house, uh, just me and a colleague, and we had the building locked so no one else could have got in there and as we were sat there looking for ghosts we saw what looked like a figure of a person with a Victorian outfit on just walk straight past us and through a wall. Now you know anybody in that situation would be thinking what F was that and my first reaction was to try and find out what could have been the logical explanation behind that so I turned the lights on see if anybody was there and there was no one other than me and my friend and when i looked at the wall where the ghost had disappeared through you could see that it was a, a bricked up old doorway so to me the fact that it was bricked up meant that you know no one physically could have walked through there so we've had reports of a a man in black clothing walking through a wall in the cellar and that was uh, put down to possibly a plague doctor, but there was a doctor who used to live down in the cellar during the Victorian period, so there is a possibility there. It's so fascinating that Andrew's experience in the cellar directly correlates to other well-documented sightings. And that's the thing about Tudor House. It's so consistent. The house has become known as a location where full-bodied apparitions are very present. Staff and guests alike have retold their experiences to Emily, and even she has been taken by surprise by unexpected people in the museum. While I was the supervisor at uh, Tudor House, we have a CCTV screen up in the reception area where you can see a cycle of images around the building, uh, which, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we just do a quick check and see if there's anyone in. So we don't lock anyone inside the building because that would be creepy overnight, I'm sure. So one day I was downstairs checking the uh, CCTV, just happened to be, and I saw a man in black with blue jeans on, ducking behind one of the screens in what's known as the graffiti room. It's a room with lots of beautiful graffiti on the walls. 
we were like, this is precious, so we don't want anyone behind it. So I radioed up to our volunteer upstairs and said, I've just seen a man go behind the graffiti screens. Could you check that for me and make sure that no one is actually behind there? And she radioed back down to me and said, no one's been up here for half an hour. There's no one there. Given Tudor House's age and history, it's no wonder it's haunted. The real marvel for me is how open the city is about it. There is a love and respect for these ghosts who keep the building relevant, interesting, and alive, so to speak. What's really important with Tudor House, I think, is the people and how the people of Southampton and further afield um, interact with it and their memories of it. And as I said, we have a lot of visitors who or people just popping by going, is it haunted? Are there ghosts? And uh, that kind of keeps the whole thing alive, rather ironically. It's the ghosts that keep it relevant. And it's something that a lot of people find so fascinating. It's refreshing to see a museum open its doors for people to actively investigate and connect with the previous tenants of this historic property. If you find yourself in Southampton exploring the old city walls, make sure you take the time to visit the ghosts of Tudor House. Do you have a spooky story you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. Drop me an email at thewestlondonwitch at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at The West London Witch. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And come and follow us for additional content on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Merry Meet again. The West London Witch is created by me, Rebecca Strazina. Our sound designer and production magician is the incredible Danny Cross. Our theme music was bespokely written and performed by the wickedly talented Kyle Hall. Our cover art is the beautiful collaboration between Lizzie Wilson and Jake Bowser. Special thanks to Missionaid Bowers, our quality control and biggest cheerleader. And thank you to you, all of our listeners all over the world. These are your stories. Thank you for sharing them with us.